We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Let's go for it, shall we? All right, open up your Bibles. We're in Deuteronomy 6 this morning. Last week, we started a parenting series for three weeks, and we discussed up parenting. This week, we're on in to go along with our arrows, reaching in. So the title is In Parenting, and the summary, the message of today, like the one bullet that we're going to shoot, not the buckshot. The one thing that you're going to hear is, dear parents, ready? Teach. Teach. That's the message of today. Okay? So let's just do a little bit of review from what we learned last week. Last week, the main thrust of the message was, dear parents, fill in the blank. That's right. Dear parents, abide. How did we do this week? We're going to be talking about it in our community groups, but was it a good week? abiding in Christ. We said that, hey, parenting starts with you first, with you walking with the Lord, with you looking to Him, with you depending on Him, with you being fed by Him. And we looked at the definition of abiding. We saw that it wasn't just some like mystical random thing that only the elite Christians can do, but we defined it. And so I'm, uh, here it is again. It says, abide. Remembering he loves you. There was an aspect of abide in my love from John 15. Remember that? Depend on him for your sustenance in life. Summarizing the uniqueness of he is the vine, we're the branches, that you have to be connected in him to be sustained, to get the life that you need to live in him. Trusting his every word. That's from John 15 where he says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Remember that? Seeking to obey his commandments. While seeking to obey his commandments. It says if you abide in me, you'll, you'll seek to obey my commandments. That was all John 15. And um, we said, especially, we like landed on that. Hey, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. We said, hey, you don't need like like this higher education seminary degree or something to figure out that it's really important if you want to walk with Jesus to know, meditate, and memorize on and in and with the Bible. If you want to know God, He has revealed Himself through the Word in black and white, and you can know Him through the Scriptures. And it is sufficient. And it is inspired and he wrote it. It sustains you. And if at all that was um, theoretical or like um, 10,000 feet in the clouds for you, um, we gave a couple, like, here's some suggestions for how to abide. Here's what it looks like practically. But then it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So Mike, how do you parent? Like, 
how do you do this thing? And we said last week, this is not an exhaustive sermon series. Three weeks, you can't like cover everything. But this week we're saying, here's one thing that the scripture emphasizes that we need to especially glean from and capture and make it a part of our, of our, of our vision for parenting. And it's right here in Deuteronomy 6. Can you read it with me? Here's the first part of it. This is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. It says, Hear, O Israel. Did everyone find it? Maybe you're not in the Old Testament that much, but this is to God's people. And right away they say, Hear, O Israel, which this is famously called the great Shema. Shema, Shema is Hebrew for hear. So essentially God is saying, Hey, listen up. This is the vision for God's people. I want them to know that what I'm about to say is really important. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Here's verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All right, so if you need, um, and I need, a little bit of peace of connecting. Last week we learned, if you want to abide in Him, that words from God are very important. You've got to know His Word. And now He's saying something interesting about words. He's saying that if you want to love Me, and if you want to follow me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that you're actually going to take these words and you're going to do something with them. Let's see what you're going to do with them in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk, I'm sorry, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, so let's just pause for a second. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take, take each phrase and just walk you through this passage because God wants us to hear this passage this morning. So let's just take the first part. You shall teach. So dear parents... You shall teach. So God really likes it when parents teach their children. If you were to ask um, God, hey God, what's your strategy for passing the gospel from generation to generation? He would say, um, well, Deuteronomy 6. I want parents to teach their children. Right away, you should be pricked and you should see that God has given great authority to parents to oversee and to teach children. Parents, you have a big job. Let's think of it like this, though. I don't know if you've ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. If you haven't, um, it's this book where he kind of hops in the mind of Satan and uh, demons and asks, what would Satan and his army, what would their strategy be to take down Christians? You should read it if you haven't yet, okay? Um, it's really thought-provoking. 
So if to this morning we were to ask, what is Satan's strategy of taking down parents from obeying God and, um, and following Him, it would be something like this. Let's make them apathetic in the area of teaching their families. In, ter- in terms of teaching their kids, how can we make a direct assault on the gospel? How can we make it so that, that they don't value God's word? Let's go ahead and say, this area is not important. The purpose of a sermon is, is not to just give news updates, um, but it is to apply God's word to God's people uh, in real time. And you guys need to know what's happening um, around the world. If you haven't heard already, um, the government of Canada is doing just this. And it just happened this month. Um, they have stripped the rights and privileges of parents, counselors, pastors, all Christians. So they have have succeeded um, not just um, suggesting to the people of Canada, but they have uh, succeeded in, in doing something like absolute coercion of belief. Here's what I mean. And it's about to get dicey here, okay? I I want to read what uh, the bill C4 um, uh, says to you. This is the bill that just got passed January 8th, where it comes directly against parents um, in the area of sexual immorality and gender. Essentially, this bill, um, it, it made it illegal for Christians to evangelize. Okay, so in the preamble of this bill, it says, and listen to this, because it's, it's not easily read, okay? The belief that, ready? Heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions I'm reading this, ready, is a myth. So just to reframe it, on January 8th, 2022, uh, the Canadian government just said uh, the, the gender that, that is given at conception, assigned at birth, however you want to say it, that is officially now the government's stance known as a myth. Okay, so it's a direct assault against what God has written in his scriptures. And here's how it could play out, okay? As someone, uh, someone who is practicing the lifestyle of, uh, of LGBTQ+, and if they become a Christian, so if they turn from their sin and if they follow God with their life, and if they come and ask for counsel on biblical sexuality, it would be illegal for church members to, to make disciples of them, to teach them the word of God. It would be illegal for pastors to counsel in the areas of sexuality, to open up the Bible and to shed light 
on this dark issue. And this is just nine hours north of Cincinnati, folks, right? So if you or your friend, someone in the youth group, like, comes and asks you to pray for them, they want to resist temptation, they want to stay sexually pure, and if they ask you for prayer, and if you pray for them and counsel them, then according to the Canadian government, you are teaching contrary, and you could be penalized and potentially put in prison. Here's how it could play out in the home. Parents, it would be illegal for you to have a conversation with your child. Right? So fathers to your sons, it would be illegal to talk to them about how to be a godly man. How to love God in a masculine way. How to love a woman and not a man with your life. How to treat her with kindness and respect. How to be a God-honoring masculine man. That right would be stripped from you. Moms, to teach your daughters what it means to be a woman and to one day how to love a man with your life and not a woman. How to be feminine and to delight in how God has made you as a woman. In Canada, that's now illegal. We believe that the Bible teaches that gender is given to us by God at the moment of conception. It's not decided upon by the individual or even developed. That God made man and woman. So this movement by the Canadian government, it really is stealing the authority of parents to what? To teach their children. So I'm telling you this for two reasons. One, to know that it's only a matter of time before it's coming our way. Uh, even this past week in Lafayette, Indiana, which is just west of here, they are going through the same thing. They're going through the same thing. Similar charges uh, against a particular church uh, that they cannot counsel from the scriptures. Uh, and so that's the first one. Number two is to recognize right now your incredible freedom and responsibility to function within your God-given right to teach your children. Hey, church, hey, the gathering, we need to be strong in this area. We need to teach our children. Be loving, be kind, but be firm in this area of biblical sexuality or else you, they are being exposed. If you don't teach them, the world will, and their foundation will be cracked. Are you with me? Yes. This passage in Deuteronomy is not just about biblical sexuality, but you need to know that, hey, we're in January 2022, and this, this is the thing that's going on right now in our world, right? Let's look at what we are to teach them, okay? Um, so what does them mean? Does it mean your children? Um, and if you're reading like it really fast, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I am to teach them, my children, diligently. And then it says the rest of the passage to your children, which if you're like thinking, man, it's kind of weird. It like repeats things and stuff. I guess it's like there's probably an explanation in Greek or Hebrew somewhere. But it, it, it would, if it does mean your children, it would sound a little redundant. Um, you are to teach your children diligently to your children. So does them mean children? And grammar geeks would say, no, 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 no. If you see a mysterious pronoun, you have to go to the antecedent before and ask, what does it refer to? So church, look in your Bibles, look at verse six. What does them refer to? Verse 6, the words. That's right. You're to teach them the words. The word of God. You are to teach them the very words of God. So parents, your chief role in this life is to teach your children God's word. All right? So what does that look like? What does that look like? Man, there are so many things to teach our children, isn't there? Like how to tie your shoes, how to uh, breathe when you're eating so you're just not scarfing everything, you know? Like to put down your fork between bites, to, to, how, to, how to open the door for your mama, how to talk to your mother. Don't talk to your mother that way, you know? Like there's so much to talk. How to like pull back a bow. And shoot stuff and how to how to like make cookies. There's so much to teach your children. But there's one thing that God says you are to do. You are to teach them the Bible, God's word. It's your main task. This word teach. Um, it's going out of fashion. The culture sure does not like it. We've we've covered that already. Um, teach in the New Testament uses the word didaskalos, which we, where, where we get the idea of didactic teaching. So verse by verse through the scriptures with structure and accordance with God's will. Like the whole counsel of God, we could say, right? How else are we to understand uh, the Great Commission, for instance, to go in the, therefore all the world, make disciples on teaching, baptizing them, and and I will be teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and lo, I'll be with you into the ends of the age, right? How else are we to understand teaching them all that I've commanded? Not just like a random nice thought or a verse here and there, but God wants us to teach our children all that he has commanded. How about that for an overwhelming call? Isn't that crazy? Anyone else get a little like, whoa, that is a weight. It sounds like a pretty overwhelming task. And I don't know how well I'm doing at it as your pastor. I know I could grow. Here's, here's a couple reactions from this call of teaching them. That would be teaching them the words, teaching our children the whole counsel of God, the Bible. It would be like, like one reaction would be like, well, let me get all my binders that I learned from college and seminary. Let me get everything and I'm going to pull my kids out of sports 
I'm going to pull my kids out of school. Um, I'm going to pull my kids out of friendships because it is my job to solely teach them the Word of God. And so sit down and let me go through everything I know and just dump truck my theology on you. And then I'll be a good parent. Now, even like the tone of which I'm saying that, I'm trying to evoke this response from you like, oh, certainly he wouldn't have us do that. Because that feels, that doesn't feel balanced. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel missional, Mike. Like, it's good to have our kids being out in the world and to have friends. And, and like, that feels a little, feels a little monkish, Right? Like the monks, their decision um, to follow God and live this life is to remove themselves from the world and to live a life devoted to God, prayer, contemplation. Sometimes they live alone in, sol uh, in solitude. Sometimes they live with other monks. But like, is this passage, is the natural implications for parents and their children to be monks? And in your mind, you're going, oh, please say no. Oh, please say no, 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 we don't want to be monks. And I'm just going to just leave a little bit of tension in there right now, because I'm going to read some Bible verses that Americans aren't awesome at that tend to be a little bit monkish. Ready? Here is Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, here's Matthew 4. Watch the example of Jesus. Watch how he spent 40 days while he was on this earth. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards was hungry. That doesn't make the missions t-shirts or missions like websites to go away from everyone else and fast for 40 days. Um, what about this one? This is in our passage today. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Jesus wants you to be diligent at being still. He wants you to create time and space for you to teach your children and to be a little bit monkish. <laughs> now, we're preaching the in arrow today. And so, of course, the emphasis is going to feel not missional, but it's going to be like more towards building into your children and teaching them. And next week, hopefully we're going to balance it out. And we're going to talk about how parents are to send their kids, okay, into mission. So if you are on this like fence of going, should I do monk path or should I do mission? You don't have to choose like one is wrong or right. We're, we're saying yes, yes, both. Both uh, Jesus practices disciplines of stillness and quietness and solitude. Um, but not to the exclusion of reaching others for Jesus Christ, okay? So that's next week. You'll just have to come back next week, okay? How's that for you? So we're talking about God's word. 
and the ability to teach God's word. And we're saying really that it is going to require great sacrifice and time. And we'll need to say no to some things in order to do this singular great thing. And that's why the next word in our passage says to teach them diligently. So parents, you will grow tired. You'll grow weary in this task. But if you do it, you will be blessed and your kids will be richly rewarded. So let me just now uh, close our time. We're talking about two scenarios. Uh, this is in efforts to make parenting um, clear. What, what does it look like to parent according to God's word? Okay. So here's the first scenario. We're going to just call it formal, a formal setting or a formal situation. Um, so this is the, the scenario that looks like mommy and daddy calling in their kids in the morning or at night or something like that. And they say, hey, mommy and daddy are going to bring you in and teach you God's word. So come on in. And they go, oh, come on, come on. Like, you know, maybe you finished dinner, you cleaned up. And there's that like pocket, that window, a half hour, hour, whatever, where it's time to do something with a little bit of structure. Okay. Um, different centuries or different streams of Christianity have called this time family worship time. And sometimes if you say it like that, it scares all the dads away. Why? Because they think they have to be just like Joe and play guitar in order to lead family worship. If I don't play guitar, I can't lead my family in, in worship, right? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what it is. So I would like to read you um, what it was like in the home of Charles Spurgeon, uh, one of his family worship times, okay? Um, if you're familiar, familiar with this guy, he was a great preacher to thousands. Um, what did it look like in the quietness of his home? How strong was his family life? What did he do with his wife and his kids? One time a visitor came to Charles Spurgeon's home, and this is what he writes. One of the most helpful hours of my visit to Westwood was the hour of family prayer. At six o'clock, all the household gathered into the study for worship. Usually, Mr. Spurgeon would himself lead the devotionals, the portion read was invariably, invariably accompanied with exposition, which totally like intimidates me. I'm like, man, this guy every day, his kids and his wife gather in his house and he expounded the scriptures to him. I am such a failure as a dad, you know, so I'm just identifying with you. Okay. Um, but I mean, just listen to this example. It's amazing. How amazingly helpful were those homely and gracious comments. I remember especially his reading of the 24th chapter of Luke. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. How sweetly he talked upon having Jesus with us wherever we go. Not only to have him draw near at special seasons, but to go with us wherever labor we undertake. Whatever labor we undertake. Then, how full of tender pleading, of serene confidence in God, of world-embracing sympathy were his prayers. His public prayers were an inspiration and benediction, but his prayers with the family were to me more wonderful still. 
Mr. Spurgeon, when bowed before God in family prayer, appeared a grandeur man, even when the holding of thousands spellbound by his oratory. <laughs> Isn't that great? What do you need to hear from that? That Spurgeon, that a daddy, he brought in his kids. They had a, they had a time set. And he opened up the Bible and he read it to them. And then he explained it to them as they asked questions. And then they prayed together. Okay? So if you're new to the faith, or if you're going, this stuff is so intimidating. I don't think I could ever do this. Let me encourage you in this area for family worship. Choose a night. Choose a morning. Okay? Where you commit to bringing your family in, doing three things. Read the Bible, pray, and like sing a song together. Okay? Let me just spend two minutes explaining each of those. Read the Bible. Oh, man, where should I start, Newman? Oh, I don't think I could do this. Like, am I supposed to teach through the book of Leviticus to my toddler? And I would just say, um, how about take out your reading plan? that we're going through in our church. There's one question provided every day. Like, so if you're reading through that, you're already supplemented with seven questions for that week to read it and then go, here's a question. What do you guys think? That is called spiritual leadership, right? Not trying to like hit a grand slam every time and breaking down the Greek and Hebrew or something, but just asking a good question from the text. So read it. Next, pray. I'm not trying to be so rigid. I'm just trying to paint a picture of what family worship could look like. What does prayer look like? Daddy, mommy, that's not you controlling everything. I wouldn't encourage you to spend an hour sharing prayer requests. I would just go like this. Hey, um, how about we pray now? And we bow our heads and let your children pray and let, let everyone pray and just close in prayer. It doesn't have to be an hour long. It can be five minutes. It can be 10 minutes. But just to pray together. And you'll hear what's on each person's heart as they pray. So I would encourage you. Don't control it. Lead, though. And then sing. Right? Singing is a funny one. Okay? Um, if you were to, like, just open it up to my family. Um, and if... What we're singing right now in our house is in canto. I mean, we are singing more about not talking about Bruno than, than scripture and things like that. So I don't want to like paint this picture of all we do is like go around the house and be like, holy, holy. You know, we're, we love Encanto, but um, it would be good like to close with a song before bedtime and say, Hey kids, you guys want to sing anything? Any songs from church that you learned this week? That any from children's church? Any like, or how about this hymn? Or how about we look all you know, look it up here and blah blah blah. Whatever, sing a song, learn it, and enjoy each other. That's called family worship. That's the first scenario, more of a formal time where you put a little structure to teaching your kids. The word of God. The second one is the, just the last one is the, the as you are going scenario. So this would align with what um, what Moses and Deuteronomy is saying that, hey, when you talk to them, it's like when you sit at your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you it's what he's saying is teach them 
all the time. This is all-consuming. Parents, is parenting all-consuming? Yeah, it is. And so what he's saying is, be all-consumed with teaching them about me. So let's, let's just even break that down a little further. Okay, so everyone has a little bit of time in the car, right? In the car, enjoy your children. I was talking to my wife, Hannah, uh, this week, and she said, I don't know the right percentages, but I would just say 90% of parenting is enjoying your children. And the other 10% is just making sure they don't die, <laughs> you know? <laughs> just like looking after them, right? Um, so when you're in the car, like, don't be like hyper-biblicist or whatever, um, but enjoy them. But also use that time to like play awesome Christian music. Have a plan, like be memorizing some scripture, like put a three by five card on the dash. And before you drop them off for school, like, hey, let's let's read this passage of scripture. Let's memorize it and let's pray together before you guys get up. Right. Like use use time in the car. And if you're in the car for like 20 minutes. Don't do the iPads, guys. Right. Like put away the, the drop down screen to catch 20 minutes of a movie like drop the media, okay? And be together for like 20 minutes in the day. Okay, this is just me just coaching you along. Are you hearing from your pastor that iPads are sinful? Are you hearing that? Good, it's not, it's not. If you go on a road trip, use them, they're great. You know, watch a movie or two. But um, for the dailies, the trip to the grocery store or whatever with your kids, try to use those times for God's glory. Here's another like just aspect of the as you are going, okay? And here's some personal stories to come. Uh, so I'm going to say, let your language be shaped by the Bible. So as you are going, as you're teaching your children, let your language, the very words that come out of your mouth, be shaped by the scriptures. Here's where I've, I've gone wrong, okay? I've shared this before, but it's applicable. I remember when our kids were really little, I, coming in the room, and they all shared a room together. All, all, I think it was three of them at the time, maybe four. Um, and, and they were just, they were going crazy, and they were giggling and screaming, and I'd be like, oh, like the pitch is so high in my house. Like, Hannah, is this okay? Are they allowed to squeal? Like, do I need to address them? No, it's fine. They're just girls, you know, or whatever. I remember going into, into their room and me going like this, ladies! Ladies, stop it! Everybody, you're all, you're all going crazy. Just settle down, right? And I wanted them to like be quiet, and they were just they were out of control. And Hannah was listening in the other room and like going, you know, I don't know if we want to raise our children like that. That was like I think that was what was going on in her mind. And later that night, you know, we tucked in our kids, and then we're laying down. And uh, we, we sleep on our backs. I don't know if any of you do that, but so just, we're like two mummies. We're just <laughs> right here. And she goes, Hey, babe, could I, uh, could I share with you one thing I've been thinking about? Sure, what's up? You know? And she goes, Hey, when you, when you addressed our, our children today, I'm, I'm, I'm with them all day, every day. And what I'm trying, instead of saying, you're all going crazy. They didn't 
when they said they didn't know how to respond to you, they don't have, they don't, they don't understand that word. They didn't have a box to put that in. What I'm trying to say to them is to use self-control. And that's, that's from the scriptures. And I was like, man, you're an awesome wife. And I am a jock, you know, like, I sh okay, I'll do that, you know. And I've seen how using and framing things with scripture is so helpful for a child. It's so helpful. They understand that now. Hey, you're not being self-controlled. And it gave us great opportunity to witness to our kids because that is a fruit of the Spirit. If they don't have the Spirit, it opens up opportunity to say, and one day when you receive Christ, you'll have the Holy Spirit and you will be able to be self-controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. But now as we wait, I'm going to help you with the spoon. So let the Word of God shape you. So for correction... Okay, when you correct your child, when they are whining, and they will, okay, when they are whining, don't say, stop whining, quiet you, you're annoying, and you're going to be annoying for your sisters and everyone, so just shush. Instead say, I want you to do everything without complaining or grumbling. Okay? It's good language because God wrote it, right? It's helpful. How about this for motives? Instead of like putting them down and saying, just, just, just get out of my earth, earth, call them up by saying, do nothing in that manner. Nothing without grumbling or complaining. For motives, Colossians 3, 23. When you give them chores around the house and their shoulders sink, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, mother. Hey, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might as working for the Lord. Not for me, not for men, but for the Lord. Whatever your hand finds to do. If they're grumbling about homework, or, oh, I can't. Hey, whatever your hand finds to do, sweetheart. Why? Why let Scripture shape your language? John 17. He says, sanctify him with the truth. Your, that's right, your word is truth. It's powerful. It's powerful. And parents, this is a great call. And you can do it. I know you can. If you have the Spirit, He will equip you to fulfill your calling in life to teach your kids. If you would, go to John chapter 1, verse 1 with me. We're going to move towards communion together as a church. I don't know about you, but I fall so short of everything that I just preached. Preaching on parenting is tough. The purpose of this message is not for you to feel like a failure in life. To look back and go, I should have done this. I should have been. But to be truthful and honest with God's word and to trust him with how he's going to use it in your life. So we're able to teach these words from Deuteronomy 6. We're able to 
take, while we abide in his words, we're able to take those words and teach those words to our children because Jesus was the word. Watch in verse one, how John starts his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let your eyes skip down to verse 11 now. Watch this. This is Jesus. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Do you want to know how to become a Christian? Let's read the next verse. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So with regards to parenting, be encouraged that Jesus, if you're like, I can't, I can't teach those words your step is to look to the word who became flesh. He dwelt among us and said, Jesus, could you help me do this? Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. If you accomplished that, you can accomplish this great task in and through me towards my children. Would you help me? And he loves to help his children. If you, if you are here today and you've never received Christ, if you've never um, placed your faith and trust in him, if you've never said, um, I want to be a son and, or daughter of Jesus, um, you can by receiving him. And how you receive him is you acknowledge your sin and you place your faith and trust in Jesus to forgive your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, you commit your life to him. As it relates to communion, Jesus welcomes all sons and daughters of Jesus. Like any, anyone who has received him, he welcomes. Uh, there's, a, there's a phrase that says, God has no grandchildren. And that's true. He only has sons and daughters. So you need to know that you're not a Christian by association. But if you have believed in Jesus, you are a son or a daughter, and then you are welcome at the table. You're welcome to come and drink of the bread, uh, drink of the cup and eat of the bread. Um, in the same manner, Jesus lays out a couple um, additional requirements for those who want to remember him by taking the bread and drinking the cup. In Matthew, he says, hey, if you're running to the altar, and this morning if we say, if you're running to the table, and you find out that you have offended a brother, that you're like this, and you're not reconciled yet, he says, leave, leave where you are, leave the gift, and go to him and make it right. And so since forgiveness, reconciliation is a hallmark of Christianity, we ask that 
If you are withholding any forgiveness from anyone, family members, friends, fellow members of the body of Christ, we ask that, that you would make that an urgent priority. If you're, if you're at odds with your wife, um, it is not noble to let the bread and cup pass and never address it. It's noble to say, this is the most important thing. I need to get right with God and I need to get right with her or him. And then take the bread and the cup. So I'll pray. And then we'll take some time um, individually to allow the Spirit to search our hearts. Um, I'm going to ask um, Paul, would you come on up here? Paul, where are you at? Would you come and help serve? Worship team, would you help uh, with the communion side of things? Playing music. And then when you're ready, um, we would love to serve you and remind you of the gospel when you come up.